0: You might want to check out, if you're listening to this, freedomainradio.com slash donate, of course, to help out the show as we need your help um, just as much, if not more than ever. And also, I know it's a strange topic, and I was not particularly convinced when Mike first brought it up, but the truth about David Letterman, who is, uh, of course, the talk show host, has been in show business for somewhere since the end of the Jurassic period. Uh, It's really hard to know. I say this because... (laughs) at one time, you know, what is he, he's in his 60s, 68 or something, he's got an 11 year old son, but um, even if you're not a fan, check it out, I think it's a very interesting life and we do pull in a lot of zeitgeist and very interesting trends from sort of the 50s and onwards, so I hope that you will check out the truth about David Letterman, Stoyan, on the polar opposite of the truth about David Letterman, what's that other truth about we've got coming, coming up?
1: The truth about George Washington, which is yet another monster of a presentation, and uh, I think people are really going to enjoy it.
0: Now, who, because who, I'm pretty much just a mouthpiece for Stoyan's massive anti white prejudices, but because <laughs> uh, you did the research on that, right? Yeah. And how much of that was deeply surprising to you?
1: <laughs> Most of it, I've got to say. I, <laughs> It started yeah. off as, he'll probably be a decent guy. I know that uh, there will be some skeletons in his closet. He's a politician after all. But what came out was uh, quite shocking.
0: He is a shockingly and surprising, like even by political standards, he is a surprisingly shocking human being. So uh, that is has definitely been uh, Stoyan's pride and joy. <laughs> it is the, uh, the child that he is bringing forth to the world. I am merely the midwife. Uh, of tangents but uh you know that's coming up it's actually uploading as we speak um and so it'll be up in a day or two when it's uh, ready to roll but uh it is uh it's a great great presentation i mean you just did a fantastic job on the research and uh, even when i was like i'd read it a whole bunch of times before we did it and then even when i'm doing it i'm like there's just no way <laughs> i mean this has got to be faked by like some anti-masonic lunatics out there uh but uh, or people who just hate the one dollar bill for reasons that can't be fully explained but uh, it's a fantastic job and uh i hope that you will check that out when it comes up so yeah those are two th- big things we've been working on lately truth about david letterman and the truth about george washington you got i mean you just got to see uh you know uh, both of those but you know if you can only pick one I think the truth would you say the, I mean you got a prejudice the truth about George Washington I think is uh,
1: I'd say George Washington especially if you're from the United States it's uh, the cultural right. programming is quite strong in there, I hear and I this could, uh, could serve as a deep programming method and quite quite a shocking one at that so hope you you're going to check it out
0: Yeah and I, it is interesting because not only is it shocking to hear about his his actual life and choices but it's also shocking just how much has been concealed. Like, it's, it's one of these, like, two-for-one presentations because it tells you a huge amount about George Washington. And would you say also, like, a huge amount about the culture that people live in?
1: Oh, yeah. I actually got a little bit paranoid in the beginning because I was thinking, I'm finding these strange facts about the man. Yet at the same time, they're omitted from most of the big volume, the large volume histories and biographies on him and i was thinking maybe maybe this is some conspiracy maybe i'm wrong maybe he was a good guy but the, when i started digging into the primary sources yeah the truth came out and it was a very interesting very interesting one i got to say even though i'm not from the united states and i haven't grown up with that myth it was uh, it was quite an experience just researching it so i think it would be yeah. quite an experience watching it too
0: i mean i i've i've studied like history and philosophy for I don't know an embarrassing amount of time longer than Stoyan's even been alive, but <laughs> and and I, I I I did a full year course on American history and uh, and all that, but man alive, I mean all the all they basically did was was talk about about how great the great society was and how Nixon was a jerk, but uh, boy, there was just none of this stuff. And you know they they say that to figure out something, you really need to look at the origin of it, and um, I think it's quite telling in the united states you know because we all look back we want to see this golden age right we want to see this oh you know well back when men were men and this golden age that some people perceive about the past but man you, you look it's a genesis myth you know like uh well back in the you know we've fallen from grace and back in the beginning it was great it really is quite um quite eye-opening to say the least anyway i guess enough teasers so uh, we should probably move on to the callers but um uh yeah so who's uh, who's up first? At first,
1: we've got Mariano, and he's asking: Is nonviolent communication universally preferable behavior? Hello,
0: hello, hello. How are you doing?
2: Uh, fine, thank you. Uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, uh, talk to me about this. I'm I'm very interested in in your uh, uh, would you call it theory or, or or proposition of universally preferable behavior?
0: Yeah, I use argument for or theory is fine. Yeah.
2: Yeah, theory. Okay, very good. Uh, I read your book. Uh, I have read 3 of your books. And uh, I must say I kind of struggled with the UPB book and yeah. also I guess. I, I uh, and let me uh say that I've had some college training in in symbolic logic and mathematical proofs, but but still uh, I struggled a little bit to wrap my head around your arguments. But but nonetheless, I think you're very uh uh, optimistic or, or maybe proud of, of, uh, universally preferable behavior because it has, I think you have said, and please correct me if I'm wrong. It has the potential to, to really bring, uh, harmony in human relationships, uh, as if we follow it as a principle. So I'm, I'm very curious. I'm very interested. And at the same time, uh, I think I've guessed from watching uh, some of your videos that, that you're not very, uh, enthusiastic about nonviolent communication, but, um, recently I attended the eighth annual nonviolent communication conference here in California, and, uh, I'm not an advocate or I don't subscribe to nonviolent communication. It's just that my wife and I have found it, uh, rather helpful in, mm-hmm. in learning to improve the relationships with, uh, mostly with our children, but in general, with the people we choose to have a relationship with. And so just trying to, uh, reconcile the two bodies of knowledge. And as I said, better understand your universally preferable behavior theory, uh, and, and how, I mean, this can be a very short call if you want, or we can,
0: Oh, well, I, I don't think it can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it can only if we assume everyone's familiar with everything, which, of course, is not, right. you know, very helpful. So, let, 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 I'll just do a little bit on UPB, and I'm sure you're far more the expert on nonviolent communications or NVC than I am. So, l- let me just do a very, very quick bit on UPB, and then I'll let you do N, uh, NVC, and then we'll, we'll put our acronyms together and see if we can make something F-U-N. <laughs> but, uh, so... Uh, UBB is short for universally preferable behavior, a rational proof of secular ethics. People can get this uh, free book at freedomainradio.com slash free. Uh, very briefly, it's saying that uh, ethics must be universal. Otherwise, they're not ethics. They're aesthetics or choice or preference or something like that. And for uh, a proposition to be uh, to, to be virtuous, to be ethical, then it must universally apply to all people at all times, under all circumstances, and so on. And uh, so, for instance, you you can't say thou shalt steal is a valid ethical proposition. Uh, two men in a room cannot both steal from each other at the same time. They can't both steal from each other at the same time because if stealing is universally preferable, then everybody must want to steal and be stolen from. But if somebody wants to be stolen from, it's not stealing anymore, right? I mean, if I put a washing machine out... In my front driveway saying, take me, then I can't really complain if someone takes it that they've stolen from me because they want someone to take. So if you take someone's property with his or her permission, then it's not stealing. And so stealing can only occur if stealing is unwanted. And therefore, stealing cannot be both wanted and unwanted at the same time. It can't be universalized. And the same is true for uh, theft and rape and, I'm uh, oh, sorry, for, for rape and, and murder and assault. So, Theft, rape, murder, and assault, those are the four major bans and ethical systems. None of them can pass the test of universality, and therefore we can be uh, confident rationally that um, um, ethics involves bans upon rape, theft, assault, and murder. Uh, And again, this is a very brief overview. We go much more, uh, oh, I go into much more detail in the book. So um, that is a a brief sort of theory of ethics that uh, I've worked on that don't rely upon the enforcement of the state or the dictates of a deity in order to uh, be valid, to be sustainable. And they also don't reply, they also don't rely on, do you agree with this already? You can become, you can come to the argument believing that murder is great and theft is great and so on. And the theory will still uh, hold, hold sway. So that's a very sort of brief tour of uh, UPB. And um, would you like to uh, talk a little bit about the background of NVC? Uh,
2: well, yes, and I, I'm no expert um my, the extent of my expertise or my knowledge is just I, I read the book, uh, nonviolent communication by Rosenberg. He's, he's the author, the, the person who put this body of knowledge. And, and I come to understand that it's, it's, it's kind of a sizable, uh, body of, of techniques, of communication techniques, uh, for human interaction and conflict resolution. <clears throat> but i am no expert i just know a little bit read a book I, I went to this conference where i took these uh
0: No i get it workshops. i'm sorry i don't i don't want you to i don't want you to downplay your expertise to the point where people stop listening uh, so okay. we get that you're not an expert but you can at least delineate the theory probably better than i can
2: Yeah okay well um it it just basically says look it's it's this uh body of uh techniques of knowledge that um allows for better communication between two parties to To achieve the uh, the ideal win win uh, uh, interaction, so that both parties can have uh, their needs met uh, in harmony without one hurting the other. Uh, I mean, I think in a nutshell, that's that's really what it is about. Uh, and it in order to to uh, to engage in nonviolent communication. Uh, both parties, or at least one, should be very, very aware of uh, owns, one's own feelings uh, and needs, and and to be very aware of, of these two in, in the pursuit of trying to to uh, satisfy these needs and how they may come into conflict with the other party's feelings and needs. And so, if at least one of them uh, tries to muscle, I guess, or shoulder the the burden of knowing one's own needs and feelings, at the same time the feelings and needs of the other, then there is hope that both parties will harmoniously, you know, help each other satisfy their needs without engaging in conflict or or, or aggression or you know, just to have better relationships. So in a nutshell, uh, I think that's my understanding of it. And so it, it, it kind of sounds like if everyone adopted nonviolent communication, then there would be finally peace in the world, which is something that you, you'd like to talk about. Uh, and, um, and is something that could be universalized, I, I guess, if, if everyone you know, lined up their efforts and uh, energy towards trying to satisfy one's and each other's, everyone else's needs.
0: So, yeah. So, I mean, this is the challenge I have with this kind of stuff: is I don't feel I'm any more illuminated at the end of an explanation than I am at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, to me, there's this sort of partly, it's to me a little bit prejudicial to call something like nonviolent communication. Now, I know. I sort of talk about peaceful parenting, but peaceful parenting is the non-initiation of the use of force and the non-initiation of aggression, uh, which means don't hit your kids, don't yell at your kids, don't call them names and so on. So I think that's fair to call that uh, peaceful, but uh, non-violent communication is sort of, well, if you don't agree with this, then you must be into violent communication. And I think that technically the problem I have with that as well is that the word violence is kind of uh, specific. I, I, violence usually, I think, would be it would be fair to say that violence means the um, initiation of physical force. Uh, you know, I mean, violence is not, uh, I'm upset because somebody didn't like my painting or something like that. Violence is uh, pretty specific. And I don't know that the word violent and communications can go hand in hand. We have bans against violence, obviously can't go up and hit people in the face. But we have protection uh, through free speech uh, of causing others offense. And so it would seem to me that we would never want a society where violence wasn't banned, but we would also never want a society where communications were banned because they were upsetting to people. So nonviolent communication seems like a very exaggerated way of talking about, you could talk about maybe verbal aggression or something like that, but violence seems like a very strong phrase to use in communication does that make any sense
2: uh yes yes and but i think the 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 use of the word violence is is very specific at least in these in this body of knowledge in this uh universe uh what uh, what i understand it and the reason i think they use the word violence is that uh, all forms of violence including physical must have their origin in a cognitive or like some mind process in which one judges the other to be in, in fault or in, in, in the wrong. And, and that is the origin of the action of the attack of, of an attack of an aggression.
0: Okay. That's oh, okay. Not. Agreed. Sorry. Agreed. But technically, we all have violent thoughts, and we all. But that we wouldn't say non-violent thinking, because thinking can't be violent. Otherwise, we would have to have legal, or social bans on particular kinds of thinking. And so, while it's true that I think lots of violence originates in aggressive or violent or, or aggressive thoughts or or false thoughts or uh, whatever, there are very many false thoughts that do not result uh, in um. In violence.
2: In physical violence, you're right. But, but the mere, I think my understanding is that the violence equates judgment in, in a very broad sense and in my amateur way of understanding it. In other words, the moment you cross the line of judging somebody in, and, and I may be wrong, but in, in, in the NVC world, that, that means violent communication because you have judged uh, you must keep yourself from judging others in and in particular when you communicate with them to to achieve nonviolent communication because that so is so like hang
0: on the, but what does mm-hmm. what does judgment mean what does judgment mean
2: uh it's a personal assessment of uh, a good uh, right or wrong in in someone's behavior like for example
0: yeah but but sorry, sorry. And again, I, I know I'm, I know you're not an expert, but this is sort of what I would ask is that, isn't calling something nonviolent communication, judging negatively those who are communicating violently and then saying, well, the thing you need to do is not judge?" I mean, it's a ju- it's a very judgmental term, right? Like if I said anybody who doesn't agree with me is practicing violence, everyone's against violence, you know, like in general, right? And so it's kind of prejudicial, but it seems like a very judgmental thing to say, well, this is nonviolent communication, therefore everything else is violent communication, and the first thing you do is not judge people, but even saying nonviolent communication is judging people who are doing something else. isn't? Wouldn't that be the case? Uh,
2: I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't think about it that it, way.
0: <laughs> and And I don't know why judgment would be so bad. I mean, now... Because, it, it, I mean, it, again, and I know you're not a, a, an expert, but it depends what people mean by the word judgment. I mean, does it mean being judgmental? In other words, just saying, oh, I don't know, this person's bad because, oh, he's Chinese. And you know what? The Chinese are like being prejudicial or something like that. But uh, that to me is not the same as having a, a judgment of someone.
2: Yeah. Like well, if, no, it's – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. Oh, no, I was just going to say that. No, it doesn't really necessarily have to be something associated uh, with morality. Like this person is wrong. Uh, I think they even in NBC, they even go farther in saying. Like, for example, when I may tell my kid. Son. You are eating too much ice cream. That is a judgment of how much ice cream he should be eating. And therefore, that would be violent communication so so if i want to have a good relationship with him and and if i want to really uh work to help him satisfy his needs i should keep myself from using that type of language because it will foster a reaction in him a defensive reaction because my judgment of my having uh, my my having judged the amount of ice cream that that he's eating may uh, is, is 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 a judgment, therefore, is uh, violent. So, uh,
0: anyway, that's wait. Uh, so does he equate uh, does he equate saying to your child you're eating too much ice cream as a form of violence?
2: Uh, I th- I think that's that's what they would say, yeah. Uh, because okay, uh, when when engaging in conversation or when you're trying to communicate with someone, <laughs> or. Or when one perceives the world, you know stuff happens around us, especially when we are with somebody else. Th- there is uh, an observation, uh, a perception component to the interaction. Like sure. for example, like for example, my kid is eating ice cream. That's an observation. okay? It's independent of any judgment that I may attach to it, okay? And so to practice nonviolent communication, I should be very aware of the difference between the observation and the judgment that I may attach to it. So so when I see my kid eating ice cream and that may trigger a feeling in me and that feeling may be very complex, like, oh, my God, maybe it, it, it may be fear that maybe he's going to get sick and get diabetes and, and die or something scary like that, that may trigger uh, uh, a judgment on my part and try to control him. Okay. And, and this is, I just came up with this example, but it, it, hopefully it'll illustrate uh, the thinking here. Uh, and so I may proceed to go from the observation to the judgment. And that's crossing the line of, of what they call violent communication, because I, uh, violent uh, judgment is the language of violence, um, and it it doesn't help. It 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 actually hurts the relationship in in the way it goes. I mean, there are better nonviolent ways of trying to help my son not get diabetes or whatever I'm afraid of than than trying to control him through through judgment, because the cost of using judgment. Uh, maybe too high.
0: That's Yeah, I mean, I I sort of get that. I mean, you want your child to not eat badly because of the ill health health effects on your child, right? I mean, and and we all want, you know, good health and, and all that, so we all want to eat well. Now, of course, you don't want your child to put down the ice cream because your child is frightened of you being angry about him eating the ice cream right like you don't like if you feeling tense or angry or scared about your kid eating the ice cream you don't want your child to modify his behavior because of your fear or anxiety because that's not teaching the child anything other than modify your behavior when other people are upset with you which is you know <laughs> not really a lesson that i think people want for their kids if they sort of stop and think about it now the reality of course is that your child may be eating too much ice cream and you know we all all subject ourselves to that from time to time and uh, but there is a fact called that's too much ice cream you know ice cream has a lot of sugar in it and all that and cavities and and all that so uh, and you know not only that but you know sugar is a very powerful drug and there's uh, mood changes that can happen there's addictions that can happen to sugar that you know and also excess fat that's garnered in childhood can often last an entire lifetime and really can predict a lot of social problems. So, so I mean, there is a fact called too much ice cream, but you sure as heck don't want your kid. You don't want to yell at your kid, stop eating all that goddamn ice cream and have your kid not eat the ice cream because you're upset because then they're not responding to any facts. They're just appeasing someone who's upset, which is probably even a worse life lesson than letting them have too much ice cream.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... um but, but if we want to stick to the technical use of, of the meaning of violent, the word violent in nonviolent communication, uh, that, that's what it means when, when you attach, uh, judgment to, to an observation. Uh, and, and so again, nonviolent communication is this big body of, techniques of how to engage in communication with the people that we're associated with. And it seems like, I mean, it it almost sounds like what Gandhi used to uh, advocate for with his nonviolence, that he said, if everyone uh, rejected violence, if everyone rejected uh, aggression, then there would be no need to use violence at all. Right. Uh, which is similar to the non aggression principle, right? If, if no one throws the first rock, then there's no need to defend yourself. <laughs> and so I think that's, that's, I think the reason for using violent in, in the term nonviolent communication, probably, I don't know, but maybe it has its origins in, in this Gandhi idea that if we, kept from using violence or judgments in the first place then that could achieve peace so anyway that's that's my take on this and so well exactly,
0: yeah of course uh, i mean the the reason even if we say that i've got the truth about gandhi if people want to look at it uh, on the channel but even if we say gandhi was successful gandhi was successful largely because the, the british decided not to use violence against gandhi i mean there was no there were no gandhis in there are no gandhis in north korea there weren't any in soviet russia and there weren't any in um, Nazi Germany because those who disputed the legitimacy of the ruling government were just killed. And so I mean, Gandhi didn't have any magic. <laughs> I mean Gandhi was um, was facing the British colonial system and um, they, they had respect for uh, free speech more or less no, I I'm, I'm not an imperialist and they were still a government. but as far as like Gandhi didn't have any magic source, It's just that he was facing a relatively non-violent state as opposed to other totalitarian uh, states that were occurring. And then there was this big giant war that broke the back of the British treasury and therefore the British uh, withdrew. Um, You know, in the same way that when the Russians ran out of money, they withdrew from Eastern Europe and everyone thought, oh, Lech Walesa is a great guy. It's like, well, no, he just happened to be leaning against a tree when it fell over and doesn't get to be a he-man. So... Uh, I'd, I, certainly agree that you don't want to bully people, uh, and you don't want them to change their behavior because they're afraid of you. I mean, that's a terrible lesson to teach to anyone, but bullying to me is not the same as judgment. I mean, you can judge people, uh, without having to be bullying towards them. You can judge situations without having to be bullying towards people, um, so, you know, like I was, uh, I was listening to Gabor Maté when we were chatting recently, like really, really listening, and he was talking about how overweight people, you know, they have trauma and so on, and I remember making some unkind jokes about Rob Ford, and I thought, ah, you know, he's he's right. Uh, that was not kind of me. That was not sympathetic for me. And, you know, I, I thought I should do better, right? I should be more uh, open-hearted and open-minded. And when I first started working on The Truth About David Letterman – um. I had significant issues with David Letterman; thought he was you know, like a cold, mean guy, and so on. And then, sort of dug more into his history and and all that, and, and ended up with much more sympathy than when I started. So, um, but I, I think that, you know, I can sort of judge myself and say, well, you know, I was not at my kindest uh, when I was making jokes about Rob Ford, so I can work at at fixing that. But that's a judgment. Am I am I hostile towards myself? Am I oh now I'm a bad guy? No, because that would be. kind of hysterical so um, it's just you know he's not a philosopher so he wouldn't necessarily say ah well we need to be really precise with these terms and and delineate them and make sure that they compare and contrast with competing terms nicely and all that so but now as far as where UPB and nonviolent communications fits in um, UPB is about what you do universally preferable behavior is in the realm of actions not in the realm of thoughts for reasons that I go into in the book and so um, it is not no, – the realm of human communication, again, if we exclude things like death threats and bomb threats and uh, um, kidnapping threats or whatever it is, blackmail, right? If we're just talking about non-criminal human communication, then this is not fall into, fall into the realm of ethics. You, you, things like politeness, being on time, being considerate, and so on. These fall under the category of what is called in the book APA, or aesthetically preferable actions. It's nicer if people are on time. It's nicer if people are polite. It's nicer if people tip their waiter or philosopher. But you can't enforce that through violence. You can't shoot people for being late. You can't shoot people for being rude. Because these situations are avoidable in a way that somebody initiating force against you isn't. So in the realm of communication, there's no... uh, no application of ethics that, other than aesthetics, you could say, well, it's nicer if, but not, it can be enforced. Like, we can enforce that people not rape. Right? somebody comes to rape you, you can shoot them. Uh, but if somebody's rude, or if somebody's, quote, judgmental and so on, that's not someone you can use a force against. And so, the NVC, in its promotion of peaceful, negotiating win-win, you know, all that nicey stuff, um, would not cross over into the realm of UPB much, because UPB deals with uh, the use of violence, and although NVC has violence in its title, um, it cannot categorize mere communication as uh, acts of violence. It can only uh, judge the violence that may result from the communications and reasonably say, look, if you change the way you think, you will change the way you act but ethics applies to actions, not thoughts, and ethics applies to the initiation of force, not dysfunctional communications.
2: Wow. that's You, you did it, Stefan. That's, that was uh, very good uh, because, yeah, I see. No, not <laughs> I like, really. I like I... the
0: surprise in your voice. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, no. I yeah, that's It's a, it's a it, challenge, right? It, Go ahead.
2: It, it, it was very good because, yeah, UPB is behavior, and over here we have communication. I, I just, I was thinking that, uh, I mean, it sounds like, these uh, nonviolent communication would be a good practice to be adopted by everyone and, and it would probably make things easier and better for for the whole of humanity uh, but but you're right it's not a behavior it's just a it's just something it's a mental process so that well that technically
0: communication it. technically communication is a behavior because it, it manifests itself in objective ways in ways the thoughts don't manifest themselves in objective ways nobody can tell when I wake up what kind of dream I had. But if I write a post saying, I think that all people should move to the Antarctic, that is uh, something that is objectively measurable and, and and so on. So communication is technically a behavior, but it's not a behavior that involves the use of force. The use of force strips the other person's choice considerably, right? I mean, if I'm your friend and I'm continually late, you can just not decide to be my friend anymore. Or you can say, well, I'm going to show up an hour, half an hour later because you're half an hour late. You have many choices and options with me just being late. It doesn't, you can go, you know, if we say, oh, I'll meet you at 9 o'clock to a movie and I don't show up till 9.30, you can just go to the movie and without me or whatever, it doesn't cut down, like me being rude or me being inconsiderate, it doesn't really cut down on your choices that much. I'm not forcing my being late on you, whereas if I've got a gun to your head saying, give me your wallet, I'm forcing, right, I'm really limiting your choices, that give me the wallet or fight or whatever, right? I mean, I'm really limiting your choices. And uh, so although communication is uh, obviously technically an action, it doesn't fall into the initiation of force that strips other people of their free will and gives them those bare binary choices, rather than the full three sixty of choices that Rudeness still uh, provides people. So, uh, again, I, I can I've talked about NVC before, so I don't want to get into it in much detail again. I can't. Uh, I can't endorse it because he's not a philosopher. He's um, uh, he's kind of like a mystic, as far as I understand it. Like he believes in a lot of otherworldly woo-woo stuff and, uh, Marshall Rosenberg. And so, um, so I'm always a bit concerned when, you know, he might be a good pilot, but he's still blindfolded. So I can't recommend getting on the plane.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Thanks. That's, that was helpful.
0: All right. Thank you very much for the call. It was really enjoyable and uh, feel free to call back anytime. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you so much, Mariano. Yeah.
1: Bye. Thanks, Mariano. Up next, we've got Pangur, who is asking, I am feeling stuck. It's been about two years since my significant other left. We have two children, one of whom is an adult and one on her own, uh, and on her own, and one who lives with me. After finding you, I began to parent peacefully for the the last year and a half. The problem I am having is determining, determining what to do when my needs and my child's needs are in conflict. I am trying to heal myself and prevent as much damage as I can to my child. How do I determine when the benefit of my long-term well-being overrides her short-term needs for her long-term benefits?
0: All right. All right. Nice to meet you. How are you doing?
3: Um, nervous as hell, but uh, doing all right. How are you doing?
0: <laughs> I am terrifying. It's important to remember that.
3: <laughs> no, I am Absolutely just intimidating. Sorry, guys. have a lot of respect for you, so it's, it's just kind of an honor to, to actually be talking to you and have you take a question, so... Um,
0: well, I appreciate the call in, and and what a great topic! I mean, this is—it's like, I mean, this is what we just talked about mismatches of needs and and how to solve them through communication. So, way to stay with the trend of the show. <laughs> Good job. And uh, how how old is your da- is it
3: daughter? Yeah, I have two daughters. Um, the one who's living with me is nine now. Right. Um, the other one's nineteen.
0: Right. Okay. Now let's just talk about the nine-year-old, since. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably where it's it's more of a challenge. Can you can you think of an example where there was a mismatch of needs?
3: Well, I mean, it's it's currently kind of going on. Um, I have a, I have a physical disability, and um, <laughs> um, seven years I've been I've been trying to get treatment for it, but I'm not responding to the treatments. And um,
0: do you want to say what it is? I certainly don't want to probe, and we don't we can move on if if uh, if you don't no, want that, to. But I'm just curious.
3: No, that's fine. It's a, uh, um, I get, it's two things. It's uh, a psoriatic arthritis, which is a form of rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and then, um, I also have, it's called bullous emphysema, which is a congenital emphysema. Um, I was either born with it or, or do, during puberty developed it, but I tend to get a lot of, uh, um, lung infections. So, wow. um, and, and the lung infection part is actually keeping me from a couple of the treatments for the psoriatic arthritis because of how it lowers your immune system and you become more prone to lung infections. And my, uh, my uh, RA feels that the other, the other options out there would be not if I would die, but when I would die. (laughs) So he, uh, but we've tried everything else, um, that I, that he feels, um, is, uh, safe for me to do um and
0: so just for those who don't know and you know correct me where i go astray my knowledge in this is as limited as my knowledge in (laughs) most other things but given that arthritis if i remember rightly is when your body uh uses the immune system to attack your joints correct that uh, anything which lowers your immune system would also reduce the arthritis but of course if you're prevalent to infections i remember this from going through chemo well it's not good right
3: Right. That's correct. And, uh, I have it, um, uh, even for the arthritis that I have, I have it on, I'm, I'm like on the severe end of the spectrum because it's in over 90% of my joints. So, yeah.
0: so it's constant pain, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's constant pain.
0: I'm so sorry that that's, that's horrifying. And, and I, I, yeah, huge sympathies. Nature's a bitch. Yeah. I'm to tell you.
3: Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's, I'm I'm coming to terms with it, and and I really thank your bomb in the brain series for for a lot of it, um, just because because of my 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 childhood, I can see how that may be affecting my health. At you know, because I'm really not that old. I'm you know I'm late forties, but um, but.
0: <laughs> I'm glad to hear you say that. Not <laughs> I'm not I'm that I'm in that bracket too. So yeah, not that old. I hope.
3: No. So,
0: but that's a lot. That's a lot of disability to be dealing with. At late 40s, right? Now.
3: Yeah, yeah. And um, and uh, and what what ended up happening is, um, <laughs> I I started looking into all natural treatments. Um, after the last round, uh, just didn't work. I mean, it wasn't even effective just for the psoriasis. So, I started looking into all natural treatments, and I found something, and it actually works for me. But it's illegal in my state so uh,
0: no no don't you understand they're protecting you yeah, yeah I'm so sorry and just uh, we don't have to go into this in detail but just for those who are listening uh, you have you have an ACE or an adverse childhood experience of nine correct which is basically like other than a direct airstrike from a meteor made of acid nothing that could have happened bad in your childhood didn't happen is that a fair way to put it
3: yeah. Yeah, I, uh, um, yeah, I was in war zone. I have, I have PTSD and, uh, a panic disorder, um, major depression, um, and general anxiety. So, right. Yeah, um, I was, uh, I was also, uh, a rape victim. Um, so.
0: And this was as a child, is that right? Or was that older?
3: No, well, the, I had a foster brother who was six years older than I was. And he began raping me when I was six um, for about two years. And then when I was 11, um, I was on a family vacation with another family and they had a 17 year old daughter and, and uh, she forced me into sex when I was 11. So, right. um, yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the, and other- I
0: just, I mean, that's horrendous stuff. I, I, have massive sympathies uh, for you. I mean, the the amount of the lack of protection, the lack of guidance, the lack of security. I mean, these all have, as you know, as I know, right? Just just very long lasting effects. So I'm incredibly sorry, of course, that you went through all of that monstrous stuff.
3: Thanks, thanks. I'm 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 still working through it, um, and that's kind of the other thing too. Is um, I've had several. I, I I moved out of state. Um, for, for about seven years, and then I moved back, and I was doing very well out of state. When I came back, it, it was just I've had I've had several health and uh, mental health like therapists tell me that right. what what I really need to do is move. So, uh, because
0: there's like localized triggers, is that right?
3: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, one of them put it. It's like you know, I'm trying to support uh my significant other two kids a house and everything and having an army of demon army of demons attacking me constantly so right. she was like the yeah best and of-
0: i just i just sort of wanted to point out that um you know when i sort of say to people hey you don't have to spend time with abusive people it's sort of like saying to a guy who was repeatedly mauled by tigers you don't have to have a tiger as a pet yeah you know like we, we would all understand that if you're repeatedly mauled by tigers Maybe not being around tigers would probably be a reasonably decent idea, right? In the same way that we say to soldiers who are suffering from PTSD, you know, don't prop your eyeballs open with toothpicks and watch Saving Private Ryan over and over again. Probably not going to help. No. Uh, So these localized triggers, they're sort of outside of our control. Right. Because they occur very much at like the spinal level, yeah, you know, not to pick on your sciatica or whatever, but uh, they occur at the level of um, uh, be, beyond the level of conscious control. You can't unprogram your body to. I mean, you can certainly deal with PTSD and so on, but if you've been mauled by lions for five years, you can't not feel. You you can ne- ever never ever be indifferent to lions. That's all I'm basically saying. So.
3: Right. Well, I had one therapist said kind of like. I can recognize when I have the flashbacks, but the one thing she's like, what well, you have trouble controlling is that, that the, she called it the whisper that, that self-talk that you were doing at that time to get yourself through it, which was not healthy because it was more, more the, you know, because I'm a bad person and because da, 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 that starts whispering in the background and that's harder. Well, to
0: probably remember. healthy at the time though, right? I mean, because that well, was kind of what was necessary to get you through because if right. you start really blaming those around you, they tend to escalate their abuse. Correct. So to, to internalize is a way of just keeping yourself safe. I'd rather me punch me than someone else punch me.
3: Correct, correct. So, and, and to catch that, and, and I actually, I've, I've been like thinking about it in terms of bomb bombing the brain. It's like, because all most most of my, well, a lot of a lot of the the abuse that I suffered was before I was you know six eight years old, um, right. the attempts on my life and everything else. It's just it's my brain just wired itself that way, and when I get in contact, those pathways reopen. You know, so being yeah, honest,
0: and it's funny how you know like in in college campuses these days, there's this. I don't know if it comes out of a whole generation of helicopter parenting, but there's this uh, oh. You know, don't don't let people be exposed to to arguments or or speech that might upset them. You know, tr- include trigger warnings if people are talking about rape statistics or something like that. I mean, if they're Christina Hoff Summers. sorry, not if they're Andrea Dworkin. And there is for a lot of people, there's this recognition: oh, these these triggers and so on, right? But particularly for men, but you know, for victims of child abuse, uh, when we say, look, I need a break from my environment, uh, people are like, oh, that's you know. <laughs> That's bad, right? So, apparently, right. rape statistics are trigger warnings that you need safe rooms and teddy bears for, but abusive families, you should just be able to will your way out of it, right?
3: Right. Well, and I, I don't know how many people you know, say to me, like, well, you should be able to make it here. There's no reason why you can't overcome it here. You know, that was my Here, ex, what does here mean? My <laughs> home. You know, my, my hometown, where I'm living right now. My ex right. was, like, I tried to get her to move a couple of times. And, and at first she'd be like, yeah, you know, that will be fine. And then when it would come down to it, she wouldn't want to move. And then
0: now sorry. When you say your hometown, does this mean the town where the abuse occurred? Yes. Right. Yeah. Right,
3: right. You know, and her big thing was, it doesn't make any difference. You should be able to overcome it wherever you're at. And I'm, um, I just, I have.
0: Yeah. By which logic women should never, ever be hostile in divorces. Right.
3: Right. Absolutely.
0: Because you should just be able to overcome it and not be hostile. In fact, you should never divorce a guy because, you know, just overcome it and whatever, right?
3: Sure. Oh, I know. It's good for Goose, not good for Gander. So, right. Yeah, so, but, you know, when it comes to my daughter, I'm trying to peaceful parent. I, I really love, I love that, I love, I, I just, I I, I wanted to have a happier life than I had. I'm sorry.
0: Of course. Of course. No, no, don't worry about it. Go on. You don't want to pass it on of
3: course, right? Right. I mean, I've always been hyper especially because I had daughters and knowing that I was sexually abused, I was always like hyper vigilant about, you know, not not passing that on because you hear that all the time. But right. uh, um I want although that was a little bit detrimental to my older daughter because then I there was a lack of touch that was right, right, <laughs> you right. You know, appropriate, right. but you know, so she didn't get a lot of a lot of touch from me where my younger daughter's now getting more of a father kind of thing but I want her to be happy and I know right now she's in a tough situation with you know her mother being uh, gone and and I talk with her all the time and and, and any any parent out there uh, I recommend the, uh, the uh, uh, parental job performance review. Because uh, it was the scariest thing I ever did, but it was...
0: Wait, the, you mean that's as not as an good. official thing? It's just something I've I talked know. about, I'm sure other people have <laughs> right. as well, where you sit down and say, all right, we've had enough of a 180, let's do a 360, how am I doing, right?
3: Right, absolutely. I, I was talking, I, I,
0: um, sorry, just just interrupt, but just so people know, like I, I sort of practice what I preach, like I was talking about, we were talking about some fictional characters in a book that we're reading, with um, my daughter and I are reading together, we were talking about some fictional characters, and like most stories and most characters in stories, they have lessons to learn. You know, you got to learn how to be X, Y, or Z. One's got to overcome a bad temper, and one's got to overcome vanity, and one's got to overcome meanness, and so on, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I said to my daughter, I said, "Okay, well, we went through. You know, what does this friend of yours have to overcome, and what do you have to overcome?" And I said, "Oh, and what does Daddy have to change? What does Daddy, if I was a character in this story, what lesson would I have to learn?" We had a great conversation about stuff. You know, it's uh, it is important. It is scary, I guess, if you don't do it often, but
3: uh, it is important. Yeah, no, the first time was really scary, but a- after that, I, I really, I really enjoy it actually, because uh, right. it it helps me improve my fathering. So, um, but I, I kind of got stuck in this, you know. I right now she has a very big need for safety and security and and and, um, and familiar things because she she's kind of feeling torn apart going between two houses and and. Uh, this is the nine-year-old. Yeah.
0: Right, right, right.
3: And when did you and your wife split up? About two years ago.
0: Right. right. Sorry, you mentioned that at the beginning. Okay, got it. Got it. And what's the, so? What's the kind of conflict um, that uh, that you have with your nine-year-old that you think philosophy might be able to help you with?
3: Well, it's it's basically like, okay, um, I've asked her if she wants to move, and she doesn't want to move. Um, she she's feeling, you know, she's trying to get feeling secure, you know, she, and and I've been noticing these past couple of years, she gets really kind of clingy, um, on me. And, and, um, so, so for me to move, which would be better for my health, I I don't know in the long run. I mean, I think in the long run, having a healthy dad mentally and physically is the, is a net plus for her, but I don't know at her age right now, if moving, you know, and and part of it was also, and this has changed in the last two weeks, but part of it was because she doesn't like her mother and she does not, she spends very little time with her mother. It's three days a week, uh, like after school till dinner time. And yeah. And, um, and she, she was sleeping over there, but when she, she slept over there once a week, and, but when she was sleeping over there, she was constantly calling me at, like, 2 in the morning because she couldn't sleep. And, and uh, she'd be very frightened. And,
0: and, and what was, was she frightened of? Uh, she,
3: she just felt alone. And, and uh, like, it's not like her mother wasn't there, but her mother was sleeping. And and I think it, it comes, I think it, I know it goes back to kind of how their interaction was while she was growing up. Her mother napped a lot, and uh, um, so she was always kind of left not on her own because my older daughter was still living at home. But like, mom's not really the reliable one. You know, mom, she also had a she also did a, a a woman's amateur sport, so she was out of the house like night times five six days a week, and then they would have a travel team, and she would go out on weekends to different places. So. Um, While she was a stay-at-home mom, I don't think she was very interactive. I mean, I was working most of the time, but when I would come home, you know, dinner wouldn't be ready, she'd be sleeping, my daughter would be, you know, being babysat by the TV or something. Right. So she doesn't really have a, a very strong connection with her mother, which I, you know, try to encourage, but up until a couple of weeks ago for me to move out of state would be custody battle and family court. And, but you can move without moving out of state, right? No, I really need to move out of state. That's what, is it
0: the accent that is triggering? I mean, how me <laughs> follow that?
3: Uh, I've tried moving different places in the state and it's, uh, some of the triggers are just environmental, like almost like, uh, climate. I noticed when I moved and I didn't move that far, uh, but when I moved out of state, I moved about six hours away, but like when a thunderstorm would roll in the right. first time, the first time the thunderstorm rolled in, when I moved out of state, I was bracing myself for something that didn't happen, and it right. didn't smell right and it didn't feel right. And, right. and right. it just knocked whatever that is. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it knocked it out. But back oh, here, it's your,
0: it's your, uh, it's your autonomic nervous system trying to protect you, right?
3: Right. 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 So that's why I kind of trying to move out of state, and I'm also when I'm thinking of moving out of state, I'm also trying to maximize my success. You know, so I'm looking at places that are growing, that you know, are economically expanding and stuff like that. Even though I'm, uh, I have a disability, I still when I when I moved out of state to this to this other city, it was just just being in a place that was growing and not dying. You know.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, Gotta like yeah you want to you want to try and find the colorado of atlas shrugged or something right someplace where there's some vim vigor and energy right not the uh, ghost town emptying itself even of the ghosts right
3: right absolutely so and, and and that was my big worry was that you know her mother would you know take this to family court and then i'm trying to look out for my daughter my daughter says what she wants is to live with me to be with me she likes the way i parent um Um, you know, and so that's her need. And I, and I, I feel that's a legitimate need. It's not her fault that her mother and I have problems. Um, but so that's kind of the, that kind of gets to the, well, what about, you know, she has her needs and I have my needs and they're kind of in two separate places.
0: Well, yeah. And tragically, because you're not in a free will situation, philosophy can't do much for you right right because you know you're in a legal situation that's, and that, well see that's
3: changed so i'm
0: i'm afraid the lawyers would win over the philosophers but sorry go ahead
3: no i understand that but what's changed in the past 2 weeks is actually and this is frustrating to me but her mother has said two things there was two things i asked of her one was to go to couples counseling and then the other I had been asking her to please move out of state. Well, she's now agreeing to both of those things.
0: Oh, the mom is willing to move out of state.
3: Yeah. Now. All oh, right. But still live in separate homes.
0: <laughs> of course. Yeah. Right.
3: But she said she's moving, willing to move out of state. And I just kind of, I was dumbfounded because at the time I was, I was actually going into mourning because she had told me she had moved on and started dating. I was kind of mourning the relationship because for the past two years, be, I've been kind of trying to work it out with her. But yeah, it, part of it was I wanted to see some things from her and I wasn't seeing them. So now she's giving them to me, but she is like she told me she like I moved out but I never moved on, but now she moved on and I was shutting the relationship down inside myself and dealing with, you know, kind of mourning that loss and then she turned around and puts these two nuggets in front of me. <laughs> And I'm just exactly. kind of like, I mean, I'm arranging therapy because I think that would be the first thing to do anyways. But then if that clears that hurdle of now I don't have to worry about legally moving out of state, you know, I don't have to worry about a legal battle because if she's willing to move, then fine. That still, is that the best thing for me to do is, you know, take my daughter out of that? I've been trying to think of a win-win situation for her. Like if I get to a place where... You know, maybe the cost of living is cheaper, or whatever, and I can school her. And then her mother stopped that. But we had talked about different types of schooling, and she really was interested in Montessori. So I'm I'm was kind of like, well, here's the maybe the win-win if I can move somewhere where I can afford to send you to Montessori. You know, is that kind of an offer that you make to to make a child? You know, or is that too big of an offer? I don't know. Am I just making too big of a deal of it? I just don't want to hurt her. I don't. I. I want her life to be, I want her to grow and to flourish and to, and to, and to be ca- content and happy with herself and her life and. Right.
0: Well, if you can, you move to a state where the treatment for your ailments, uh, your disability, uh, is more accessible.
3: Yeah. See, I could do that and. And because to me, once once I get this, my body under control, my ability to to earn more money is going to increase because I'm not going to be in constant pain all the time, even if I go back to an employer because I've owned my own businesses also throughout my life. Um, even if I go back to an employer, I can at least say, yes, I can show up to work these days, you know, right? right. Cause right. now I sometimes wake up in the morning and I'll have a flare up and I can't trust myself without, you know, uh, a ton of painkillers and, uh, you know, I barely get my daughter off to school. Right. So, um, yeah. So, th- I mean, it would be almost a panacea for myself.
0: Right. Well, I mean, it seems to me that if, uh, it's hugely better for you and it's something your daughter wants, and it's something that your wife or ex-wife is willing to accede to, I think we've got a plan, right? I mean, I think that's I uh, I don't want to say no-brainer, because that's always kind of an insulting phrase. It's always easier to see things from the outside, sometimes, well, not always, some, sometimes, because I'm from the inside. But it sounds to me like you've got a... you've got a, um, an avenue to a much better life to where not just you have access to the medicine, but your mind space is so much better. You're more available to your daughter. And your wife is willing to go to couples counseling, which if you have a chance of resu- res- resurrecting the relationship, sounds like a, a great plan.
3: Well, I, I don't know if it's going to go that far. I mean, I always hope. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, if, if, if she works, you know, the, if people make
0: that choice, mm-hmm. then there's almost nothing that they can't do. If they they make that choice, you know, if they say, I need to change, I need to grow, um, I need a trophy more important than some sport, which is the trophy called being a great wife and mother and person and all that. So if if they make the choice, you know, I mean, I remember once I had a friend many years ago and um, he, he was going through a divorce and I don't know whether this is a good or bad sort of clinical practice, what do I know? But he said that he went to couples counseling to try and save the marriage. And the therapist, after the first session, took him aside and said, listen, your wife is not going to change. Like, you need to find a way to live with her the way she is, or you need to move on. But I'm telling you, your wife is not going to change. And she didn't. (laughs) You know, again, I, I don't know what mojo goes on in the therapist's brain, but that was the therapist's assessment. Therapist turned out to be correct. I hope it wasn't a self-fulfilling prophecy. But, you know, somebody who's really dedicated to not changing, which seems to sometimes be the majority of the population, by golly, they won't change, right? Somebody dedicated right. to not running a marathon, they're really good at not running marathon. <laughs> I mean, that's, all right, another day. I haven't run a marathon, good right. for me <laughs> my bucket list uh, is 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 still uh, you know batting a thousand and but if people do try to decide to change and you know it's hard to hard to know what's what's suddenly gonna click for people I mean gosh if I knew that <laughs> I people be walking around the planet <laughs> with a big giant clicker but I, I read a blog like I don't know this has got to be like 20 years no 25 years ago or whatever I read some some guy's blog who he, he woke up like, what happened was and this is you know, back in the day, probably when you could rationally discriminate in the healthcare system. But, uh, he had, uh, he was an ex-college athlete. I think he kind of let himself go and he got a message from his insurance company cause he went and get blood work and weighed and all that. And they said, dude, <laughs> you're heading for an early grave. Your, your health insurance is going to go up considerably cause you're overweight, your mm-hmm. blood pressure is bad. You're you know, heart is bad and, and all your liver is fatty and just all this kind of crap, right? And, you know, some people are like, those idiots don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> thinness is a conspiracy. <laughs> I'm going to keep going on. But this guy was like, whoa, kind of a wake-up call, right? right. And I mean, I, yeah. I don't know, five, I think six years ago I lost 20 or 30 pounds and I'm like one of the 2 or 3% of people who's actually kept it off and lost even a little bit more and it's just because, you know, you go like, well, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> if it's only a pound a year, i still got hopefully 40 more years. i don't to end of my life 230 pounds or whatever at 235. Mm-hmm. So you don't know what's suddenly going to click for people. I don't know if it's just a matter of intelligence. or, But I think that self-reflection and meditation and yoga and all these things can be really good. Therapy, of course, as you know, I'm a huge fan of. But you don't know what's going to make people click well what one day people may just you know they can just wake up and say you know i mean i don't think you wait forever because <laughs> you know life's short you got to make your rational choices but right. it can't it can't i don't know the answer as to why some people change and some people don't it was sort of the very 1st college show we ever did on this show we talked about that and i'm not sure that i'm I, I think that in the lack in the lack of information people can't change you know how many people right. in the 17th century are going to sail to america well of those who don't have a map or know that America exists will ever end up sailing to America, right? Right. But uh, if there's a, you know, America exists and here's a map and here's a sextant and uh, here's a compass and uh, here's how you get there uh, over the ocean, well, okay, then more and more people are going to go. The more they know the destination and the journey, uh, or at least the route, the more people are going to go. How many people take trips that they wouldn't otherwise have taken because GPS, right? (laughs) It's just (laughs) not as annoying and complicated, right? I mean, and... um, yeah, the GPS. It saves gas and it costs gas at the same time. <laughs> but uh, so this is why you know I, I try to sort of put out as much information I, as I can about you know self-knowledge and virtue and therapy and self-knowledge. Like all, all the stuff that, that I've sort of been yammering on about because at least then people have a choice where before maybe they didn't. And uh, so the fact that you're going to go, has your wife uh, or ex-wife or whatever, has she been to therapy before?
3: Uh, actually, um, when we first met, she was in therapy and then, um, she stopped and then she became extremely resistant to therapy. Oh. Um, you busted. Yeah. What did you do to that poor young lady? No, just uh, going. That's what she did to me. But,
0: uh, <laughs> well, oh, well, you see, with that attitude, <laughs> how's it going to work out for you with this woman?
3: Well, that's, I see. And and I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm really suspicious at this point and I'm trying to overcome that, uh, of the offer because, you know, uh, when I've asked before and it was, I'm not going because they're going to say I'm crazy and I'm going to have to change. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but doesn't that mean well, something that's, you know, you
0: know, <laughs> Sometimes in jokes, there is a huge amount of truth. <laughs>
3: right. So I, I am kind of, I don't know if she's just doing this to kind of prove to herself that she gave it all she got, you know, gave it all she could. And now yeah. she's putting it to bed or you know she she told me she's doing it cuz she cares about me and she wants me to heal. So
0: I Oh, so it's for you to heal. Well, Nothing that, to do with anything she might need to change.
3: That's that's my mm. my fear is that Yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, I wouldn't necessarily
0: try and overcome all of your skepticism <laughs> cuz it might be there to help you but Right. I'm going to therapy just for you. It's like I'm going to take up running with you, so your heart gets better. Wait, doesn't this have any effect on your heart at all? No, it's all for you. It's like I don't think you understand how this works.
3: Well, that's and that's why I I to, I I'd said you know well, I, my my I don't I don't want to call it demand, but when when we were still together and and having problems when she was making you know her demands on me, I said, well, I think we need to go to therapy, but you have to go with an open heart and. I would get the, I'm not going and, and everything else. And even after we left, I still wanted, let's go to therapy and see, you know, I wanted to do everything before I throw in the towel. So um, that's why. Well, I, look,
0: I mean, but e- even, sorry, I didn't drop, but even if you guys don't end up back together, you know, the great thing about therapy is it brings you closure one way or the other, right? Right, correct. You know, therapy is like, is like if you if you can't defeat the alien spaceship with a nuke, you don't have anything else, right? Right. Okay. Let's try a pea shooter. Right. I mean, when you basically bring your biggest weapon to bear on an enemy, this sounds like confrontational. I don't mean it that way, but when you bring a big, if you can't defeat your biggest enemy with your biggest weapon, then you at least know you can at least retire from fighting, not knowing that you had some, like knowing that you didn't have some backup in your back pocket that could have taken them out. Right.
3: Right. And I, and also for me, I wanted, I want, I want to do it anyways. Um, because I, I don't know if I'm missing something. You know, I'm not sitting here thinking that the way I feel and the way I want things and everything else is correct. But, you know.
0: Well, I, you, uh, you certainly have not been, uh, like you've been dissing her quite a bit in this conversation. I mean, you, you do it in a very obviously sophisticated way because you're a smart guy and listen to the show. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, this is the first time you said, well, I, I could maybe change something. Uh, but, but the great thing with therapy is even if you don't end up back together, one or two other possibilities is going to occur. Either she's going to grow and change. You don't end up back together, but co-parenting gets a whole lot easier. Yeah. Right? Because you've still got at least a decade to go as a co-parent, right? And yeah. I think people who decide to get divorced should absolutely go to therapy together because they've got another 10 or 20 years or more of co-parenting to go through. Correct. Right? As you know, kids are like the ultimate soul Velcro. it's like it's the roach motel of marriage when you have kids you can check in but you can't ever check out right and um so so you know let's say you go to therapy oh either you get back together and you're all happy which is great or you don't get back together but you're better co-parents which is definitely a positive outcome or she's nuts yeah (laughs) in which case you get closure right right or you're right. nuts, in which case she gets gloated on. <laughs> right. But
3: That's true. It, it, it's yeah, one of these,
0: way. you know, let's, you know, let's, let's stop stumbling around the room. Let's turn the light on. Now, you might turn the light on and it's full of zombies, but at least they won't take you by surprise. <laughs>
3: right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So and that, that was th- that and the moving out of state was just kind of, it, it threw me, it threw me for a big loop. It made me extremely happy. And then I came crashing down going, well, wait a minute. What the hell? Why now? So, as she says... Well,
0: no, man, take take what you can get, right? I mean, if it's going to get you closer to your pain meds, or sorry, to your treatment meds, um, so much the better. I mean, it's hard. You know, anybody, everybody who's alive, who's a parent, has parented with a headache. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, please understand, I'm not comparing a mere headache to what you're facing. But it's hard to be the fun dad when you've got a splitting headache, right?
3: Right, right. And,
0: know. you know, yours is more like a continual migraine, right? So... <laughs> it's really hard to be who you want to be with your daughters when you're in constant pain. And when there's this is yeah. uncertainty, you know, people who, um, like I have this uh, little forearm ache, right? Uh, for carried my daughter too long for a couple of days, a little while back. And, you know, I'm waking up, I'm like, oh, how's my arm? You know, and then throughout the day, I'm like, oh, how's my arm? And again, this is like 0. 0.00001% of what you're facing, but it, it consumes your mind, right? Like, how am I going to be tomorrow? How am I today? Is it better? Is it worse? What's going to happen? Right? The, the, it's not just the, the physical pain. It's also the mental preoccupation that occurs. Correct. With this kind of stuff that makes you much less available to other people. So, yeah. it, man, if you can get to the meds and you can get to non-triggering environments and, and your wife's willing uh, and your daughter's, yeah, go. Oh, I can't, you know. And, you know, maybe it's a trap, but where you're in is a trap. So at least there's like maybe it's only 50 percent chance of trap right now. You got 100. Right. So.
3: Right. So but if my daughter is not willing to go, do I just override that? Wait, wait, your youngest? Yeah, my youngest. She doesn't. Uh, and why doesn't she want to go? Just right now, she's just feeling um, insecure in her in, in her life. Um
0: she's Well no, come on, that's that's a bit abstract. I mean, well, is it is it like she's got friends that she wants to stay? Is there a neighborhood that she wants to stay? Is there a sports team she's on that like there's got to be something specific.
3: She's not on any sports teams. When I talk to her, she just she's her biggest complaint is, you know, she doesn't like being most well, she doesn't like going over to her mother's and and when I asked her about moving from here, cause even I, the first time, cause I don't need a three bedroom house anymore. And right. I was just looking to pare down just to kind of help with some stuff. And she just, she started getting very upset about, about moving because this is, this is the one place that she still feels like home. Uh, and, and, and she's told me, she's like, she has a hard time calling it her home because you know, technically she has a home with her mom and, you know, so right, and and, and I'm like, but, but you know, just say my home, because she keeps she was referring to your home, and I'm like, well, it's it's your home too, and right. but she doesn't feel okay. comfortable.
0: sorry, let let me give you a speech that I would give to her. Okay, and you know, obviously, I'm not trying to write your script, but these are sort of the, this is the speech that I would give to her. I would say something like this. Look, I mean, you've you've had it rough. I mean, you, you got a divorce that's two years fresh. You got a mom that you're not enjoying to go and see. And by the way, the fact that you don't want to go and spend time with your mom is something that we need to sit down and talk about with your mom. Because that is not, I'm sure, what your mom wants. And we need to find a way that you can feel more happy and more comfortable being with your mom. Your mom and I, the first thing we do is, we, you know, well, your mom and I are going to go to couples therapy. She's agreed to do it. We're going to go and do it. And during, as part of that couples therapy, I'm going to bring up, that we need to find ways that it's more inviting for you. I don't want you to get on the hook. I don't want you to get in trouble, but this is something that needs to solve because you're still over there three days a week. So that is something I am absolutely committed to working on. I don't want it to be taken for granted that you just don't have fun with mom and there's nothing we can do about it. That's not fair, right? So I am fully dedicated to trying to find a way to get your needs met Mm. with your mom so that when you're over there, you're not calling me at 2 o'clock in the morning, but you're happy. Uh, you know, uh, that's my job. It's not your job, right? I'm, I'm the adult. You're the kid. So it's not your job to do that. It's my job. And I'm going to work on that 150%. That's number one. Number two, we have like you're nine and you shouldn't have to deal with these decisions. You really shouldn't. I mean, it sucks. I don't want you to like, I don't want to say this is equivalent because I am the adult. I sure as hell don't want to be dealing with arthritis and uh, lung infections half my waking days. You know that, so there are things that happen in life that suck. But they don't have to suck as much as we think they do sometimes, right? Um, you know, there's an old quote. says, there's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. There's some truth in that, right? I mean, it's not always what happens to you. It is to some degree what you think of it and what you do with it. Mm-hmm. And I can't be the father that I want to be if I'm in pain all the time, you know, like you've had twisted ankles, you've had headaches and, you know, imagine if that was just like a twisted ankle and a headache all day, every day. You would not be the person that you are now. I just, I'm a shadow. I'm like a ghost. I'm like a Nazgul in my own body. Like I, I can't be who I want to be. Like, you know, those mornings when I've got a bad, I can barely get you off to school. I mean, and I'm just not having the kind of life that I want. I can't have the kind of job that I want. I can't have the kind of socializing that I want. I can't be the kind of parent that I want. And, you know, sometimes you pitch up tent and then there's bear shit. (laughs) And you're like, oh, well, we thought this is where we were going to spend the night. But guess what? Bear crap. So, we're going to unpack up the tent and go someplace else. Now, You want to stay. And look, the last thing I want to do is muscle that away. And, you know, I don't want to do that at all. And I'm not saying, like, I don't want to do that, but I will. Like, I'm so dedicated to not muscling away your wishes that there's so many things that we can do to find out how we can both get what we want. I am not going to muscle you into doing this because that's just being a bully. And it's just using, hey, I'm bigger and I have more legal rights and you have to come with me. Like, I don't want to treat you like you're a mole. I go on vacation, the mole comes on vacation. Like, this is not fair. So, But the reality is that I can't work here. I can't be the father of the one. I'm in constant pain. There's a stupid government that maybe some guy on the podcast will tell you all about at some point in the future. But there's a stupid government that won't let me get the medicine that I need. Uh, It's illegal. Like, I go to jail for taking medicine. I drive two hours, and I'm a good guy for taking medicine. This is the crazy world we live in, but that's not my fault. Right, I didn't make that and vote for it. I'm in charge of it. I didn't pass it as a politician. That's just the reality that I have to deal with. You know, pitch up your tent. Oh, bear crap. Let's keep moving. Right. Mm-hmm. And but we have to have a principle that we have between us that I want you to get familiar with as you get older. And I haven't always modeled this principle or demonstrated it, and neither has your mother. But you know, we're working on it. And that principle is there's no ruler in our relationship. There's no ruler in our relationship. Our relationship, I dare say, ought to be a form of benevolent family anarchy. No ruler. Your needs don't rule me. My needs don't rule you. So that means that we don't get to say, well, I don't want to do this. And that's the end of it because that's making your needs or your preferences the ruler of the whole family. And that's way too much power for a nine-year-old. And frankly, it's way too much power for a 49-year-old. So I don't have that power, and you don't have that power. So the mere expression of needs cannot be the physics of how the balls bounce in this family. My needs, your needs, mom's needs, they don't make things work. Because all that means is that you only have to have needs, you don't have to negotiate. That you're there, and therefore the other person can't can't be there. You have your needs, and therefore I can't have any needs. (laughs) And we don't want that. We don't want that as a family. That is not how... I mean, that's exactly what went wrong with me and your mom. Yeah. One person had needs and the other person had to switch off their soul or fight to the death. Right? Not right. much fun. No. Not much fun. So we have to find a way that we can get our needs met without someone being in charge. And... I don't know exactly what that looks like in terms of how or or what needs get met, right? But it means that we have to keep looking until we can find something that everyone can live with. Now, if you get everything you want, you won't get everything you want, right? This is the paradox, right? So my daughter, if you get everything you want and you get to stay right here, then you get a dad who's in pain, a dad who's frustrated, a dad who's uh, unable to, to have a career, and therefore you don't get the dad that you want. You can have the home that you want, but you can't have the home that you want and the dad that you want. You know, I hope that I rank somewhere and the equivalency scale of a three-bedroom house in your heart, but um, you can't get both. Now, I want to find a way that you can get a house that you want and a dad that you want. I mean, clearly that would be better, right? And so instead of saying, well, your needs win and my needs lose, oh, self-sacrifice is going to be my cross that I will nail myself to from here to eternity, all I'm teaching you is that you don't have to negotiate. You just have to have needs and sit until people, like a rock in a stream, that just goes around you. That's not going to be healthy for you, and that's not the kind of relationship that you want. Because if I let you do that to me, (laughs) tragically, you're going to end up with a template called, well, the way to get along with men is to have needs and have them change. Which means you're gonna end up with some spineless, annoying, passive, aggressive weenie guy uh, for for a husband or a boyfriend, and that's gonna drive you crazy and you're gonna be like, Oh gosh, why is this going on? Men are like this. It's like, nope, that would be my fault. Right? So I don't want I don't want that for you. So I don't know what the answer is, which is the great thing. I know the answer isn't you get your needs met and I don't. I also know the answer is not I get my needs met and you don't or mom, or, like, nobody's in charge. Nobody rules here. It's a negotiation among largely equals. You know, you're still nine, so there is that annoying, your brain still has 15 years for maturity to go, but um, nobody, nobody's in charge. Now, if nobody is in charge, and let's pretend that this was some other family or some other problem, you know, like these problems you read about in these puzzle books, what could be some potential solutions Where we could sort of figure out how this family, this other family, might get people's needs met without anyone being in charge, without anyone being the ruler. And then maybe you could start, she'd talk about how much she loves the house and all that and how much she wants to stay, there might be some tears and so on. And yeah, let her express her needs. You know, one of the great liberating things in a relationship is to let somebody else express their needs, express their thoughts, express their feelings... And don't feel like it's something you have to change or fix or react to in some particular way. But just, uh, yeah, you're feeling sad. You know, playing Monopoly with my daughter the other day. She loves, like all kids do, and, you know, adults as well, Boardwalk and Park Place, right? Because they are the ritzy ones, <laughs> the deep blues of infinite renting. And uh, she didn't get them. And she was sad. Right? And... I, I don't know I got Park West and Boardwalk, a park place and Boardwalk, and she was sad about that. And I'm like, oh, tell me, you know, that you really these are really special for you, right? This is how you won the last two games, was having these, and you really like to win, just like Daddy does, and right? So I was, you know, she was telling me all about how she felt so sad about not having these these, and I'm like, I don't, I'm like, oh, uh, right, here, let me give them to you, <laughs> right? I mean, that's not the solution. That's just a way of squelching her feelings. But I can be really curious and and want to know about her thoughts and feelings without feeling like. I must fix them. You know, it's not like she's walking into the ER with a broken bone. Yeah, fix that, right? But um, she can have her feelings of, of sadness and apprehension and all that, and those are important, and you need to know what those are. But those aren't the rulers. You know, anarchy is a not a political philosophy fundamentally. It's a relationship philosophy, and this is what this is why I have a book on relationships called Real Time Relationships, which people can get for free at freedomainradio.com/free. But anarchy is a uh, a, a relationship philosophy that no one is in charge and everything's a negotiation. You can't, because you can say to her, look, if you have, well, your needs uh, rule, obviously they can't rule all the time because then I don't even exist, right? So it means that if you and I are going to have the standard, it has to apply to both of us, in which case both of our needs rule, which means in our conflict, like when we have differing or opposing needs, we have no solution. But that's exactly where we need the greatest solution which is nobody rules. Everything is a negotiation. And curiosity and open-mindedness are the solutions. We don't know what we can come up with that is going to be so much better than anything we can think of now. The real win-win, right? Right now, all that's being proposed is like this win-lose. But we don't know what we could come up with where we look back and we say, man, you'll look back and say, man, I'm so glad I didn't get what I want (laughs) back then, (laughs) right? right I mean this is this is a funny thing in life you know I don't know if you've experienced this I certainly have so many times like something I really really wanted I wanted it so badly I wanted it so badly and I didn't get it and now I look back and I say oh thank god I didn't get what I wanted my god I'm so glad I didn't get what I wanted <laughs> if I'd have got what I wanted my life would be well not as great as it is now and um I'm incredibly glad to have not gotten stuff at times because it had me keep looking and keep exploring and keep growing. And, uh, you know, thank goodness that, uh, you know, some woman I asked out years ago who I could see in hindsight now would have been directly the wrong person, and she said no. And at the time I was like, oh, that's bad. Now like i met my wife, I'm like, thank you for saying no. <laughs> I want to send, you know, massive Hallmark cards back through time to the universe saying, thanks for saying No. <laughs> Does that does that make any sense?
3: Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I, I just, I and maybe I'm just being, you know, over overly vigilant when it comes to her. Because I, I, what I don't want her to do is I don't want her to because I, I see, I see how she interacts with her mother, and she tends to placate her mother. Um, she gives in with her wait, mother. wait,
0: wait, wait. Why, why are you why are we bringing in the mom here? We're talking about you and her.
3: Well, because I, I, I am. I have a fear that. That she's trying, that she'll do that to me, and I don't want her to do that. But, to wait, wait, me. she'll I, placate you. Yeah, like I'll, you know, be discussing something with her, and and I'm not saying she does this. I it's just a fear because I see her interactions with her mother, and I I'll talk to her afterwards. I'm like, did you really want it? No, no, I didn't want to do that, but I didn't. I knew she wasn't going to relent. So well, I, but you've got to up.
0: trust your instincts as a father, right? And and if you suspect that she is placating you, then say. Hey, no placating, right?
3: Right. I, and, and, and I, you know, I, I mean, maybe I'm just being overly sensitive. Uh,
0: I will say this, that you can't play both sides of the tennis court, right? You can't serve and then run around and hit the ball and hit, run and hit back, right? That's another form of erasure of the other, and it comes out of a need to, for self-protection that comes from, obviously, a, um, a, a grim and gruesome past that, that history that you had as a child. But you can't play both sides of the tennis court. Like, So if you're like, well, if I say this, what if the other person says this? And if the other person says this, and I say that. What if the other person... That's you trying to play both sides of the tennis court. But you can only play both sides of the tennis court if there's not someone else on the other side saying, hey, let me hit it back, right? So you can only set your own needs, but the moment you start trying to self, sort of double and triple guess other people, then you're not in the relationship talking to that person with an open mind and heart at the time. And, it, you know, your instincts are... You know, probably going to be quite accurate. Since you notice her placating her mother, you'll know that she has that capacity. So you'll ask her, "Don't placate me, right? I I don't want it. I mean, don't don't treat me that way, because that's uh, not respectful to me or to you. And if uh, if if something does happen, right? So she's you don't feel that she's placating you. She promises she's not placating you, and I don't know, six months down the road, and she says, oh, I only came here because I was placating you, I'd be like, well, that's a pretty good lesson about the dangers of placating, right? I mean, I, I asked you, you swore up and down, I didn't believe you were placating, so, you know, don't lie to me, don't placate, because I can't feel guilty if I told you not to do that, you promised me you weren't, and now you say that you were, that's a pretty good argument for not doing it again, right? I mean, and, and then she learns an important lesson, right, which maybe she won't learn through theory, but she'll learn through practice. Uh, and I think that would be the best that can be hoped for in that situation. So, all right. Thanks so much for your call. Listen, uh, please, please keep in touch. Let us know uh, how it's going. I certainly wish you the very best with your wife and your therapy again. You know, if people are thinking of getting divorced, go to couples therapy. If you do end up making the decision to divorce, which I hope you won't, then please go to couples therapy <laughs> so that you can figure out how to be more effective co parents uh, together. Because if you have kids, man, you are. Velcroed together at the heart and soul for a long time to come. So I hope that people will listen to that uh, and uh, <laughs> take that advice for what it's worth. All right. I'm Stay sorry to the callers. Yeah, I'm sorry for the callers we didn't get to, um, but uh, I hope that you understand. And of course, thank you everybody so much for your time, attention and support of this conversation, freedom radio.com slash donate to help out the show. And uh, don't forget, truth about David Letterman, truth about George Washington. Two white guys who deserve your attention. Um, (laughs) So have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week, everyone. Stefan Molyneux signing off. We will talk to you soon.